Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. Today we are making conversations with Nicola Gates of Olinua, who is based in North Belfast, Northern Ireland. We are approaching the end of our first series of Maker Conversations as this episode is episode four of five and features designer maker Nicola Gates of All I Know. Nicola and her beautiful studio is based in North Belfast where she specialises in woven textiles and it's where Robin and I recorded this fantastic episode. We love every second of this episode and know that you will too. So let's get listening to Nicola Gates of All I Know. We are with Nicola Gates uh, of All Anew, um in her beautiful studio in Belfast today. Uh, hello. Hi. <laughs> okay, so we are, this is a beautiful studio. You have a lot of natural light um, in here, which is really fantastic. Yeah. A lot of custom made stuff. That it, 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 this is all custom made, is it? The benches. Um, it seems very purpose built. Um, studio space. Yeah, it's well, it's north facing, so it's got nice soft light. I've actually got a view of Cave Hill, so yeah, maybe right. we're in North Belfast. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see it when you stand up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a lovely studio, and yeah, I got my bench made locally, so mm-hmm. it's just been made for the right height. And it's perfect. Yeah, so much storage, and it's on caster wheels, and you you seem to have everything organized so perfectly in the studio. It's such a pleasure to look mm-hmm. at um, and then we're, we're sitting kind of in a bit of a corner but behind us we've got the looms um they are dominant in the studio space i'll just mention about the the workshop just to give people an idea of yeah. where who i'm with and that mm-hmm. um so we're in um what we loosely call the little american congress which is a, a loose collective of makers and designers based around in and around North Belfast. Um, so it was really started up by Orla and Martin of, of Oscar and Oscar, your um, architects um, who work from the building and they took on um, a few make other makers, I think maybe nine of us in total, um, okay. who take up, have taken up the different rooms in the building. So it's a nice little mix of there's woodworker, print, uh, architecture as I mentioned, um, there's um, a girl who makes um, Shifra Cahardy who makes bags from recycled materials and uh, we've got lots of variety so it's really nice. But coming up here it's so unexpected. It's, yeah and it's mm-hmm. so lovely. refined as well like it's really beautiful and clean and just so so mm-hmm. well organized. You got it's it on a good like day not always Instagram like this. Instagram <laughs> ready. <laughs> oh, but um, yeah could you tell us a wee bit about yourself and how you basically started in the textiles and your education and okay well I did actually study weaving at college not that you would need to really but um I kind of ended up in doing a textile degree not really having planned it too much but I was always sort of a bit of um jack of all trades master of none at school so there was lots of different things I was interested in I always find it very hard to choose one thing and I would really wreck my head trying to make decisions very bad at making decisions when I was young I uh, just really would take a long time over trying to decide what course to do and I even applied for things like art, landscape architecture biology oh, degree which amazing. I think I got places in all of those but somehow I kept coming back to art and textiles and I think it was because it was just what I was used to doing from a very young age um, my mum would have taught me how to sew and knit from I was really able to hold a pair of knitting needles yeah. um so she, she would have like helped me to make a first my first like little elasticated skirt when I was probably about maybe five or six or oh something like that or she would have helped me on a wee singer sewing machine that my aunt had given me um so I think it was just sort of instilled in me and she also mm. collects a lot of fabric and yeah. uh, had, had an attic full of we have an attic full of fabric at home at my parents house so um she would have really just you know, giving me that love of textiles and texture and colour and um, from a very young age. So I think that's why I really got in, just yeah. went, kept, kept going back to it. And then, um, so I ended up doing a foundation course in Limavadi, <clears throat> which gives you a taste of everything. Mm-hmm. Ended up after that still not knowing if I wanted to continue with art, but eventually deciding to do a textile degree. Um, got refused. Um, I didn't get into the National College of Art and Design initially when I applied which made me realise actually I really wanted to go there. Oh, yeah. So then they put me on the waiting list and I did get in in the end. I think they didn't, whoever had got in originally didn't take up the course. So um, I got in and uh, ended up 
lived in Dublin doing the degree course there for three years. Wow. Which gave you a taster of weave, embroidery and print. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea I wanted to do weaving at all. I'd never done it. Had no interest in it and thought it was maybe a bit old fashioned mm-hmm. and buddy and stuck in the past. At that time, that was back in 2002 to 2005. Um, but I had a really nice weaving tutor, Rachel, who just started teaching at NCD at that time Mm -hmm. and she rather than explaining the techniques of weaving from the start she just got us she had lots of different looms set set up Mm -hmm. and she just got us to sit down and do like a round robin try out the different patterns or different colors whatever we wanted Mm -hmm. to weave into the warps and I just found really intuitively just really enjoyed how satisfactory it was to create your own fabric like that so oh brilliant um, and so then going down to Dublin, that must have been a really big decision as well. I mean, it was the choice to go to NCAG because they were the only ones that had that type of course. And that's why you chose to go there? or Not really, because to be honest, I hadn't really researched exactly what different textile courses would involve. Maybe I was quite naive at that age. <laughs> Probably should have. But um, no, I think I had applied to Scotland as well and to Edinburgh and I'd got in there and it probably would have been great. But um, my now husband, who was then boyfriend, uh, was going to Queens, and I think, without admitting it in my head, maybe that was partially why I didn't want to leave the country. So, um, but I didn't, I didn't want to go to Belfast. I had no connections in Belfast at that time, and although I live here now, but mm-hmm. uh, I just wanted to go somewhere a little bit further from home. Mm-hmm. And Dublin, actually, at that time, kind of seemed like almost a. Although it's obviously it's Ireland, but it almost seemed like a foreign place because it wasn't somewhere that I had been much. I grew up in the countryside in Fermanagh, so it just wasn't. I wasn't a city person, and it seemed like such a big city compared to the likes of Belfast yeah. or Derry, and so it seemed foreign enough, but also local enough to yeah. kind of be a balance between the two. A little bit of home yeah. then, so instilled in it. The three-hour bus journey is still quite. Quite a tour. Um, oh, I did you not stay down there? Oh, I did. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. oh, no. <laughs> oh yes. Just for traveling. I just, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know the way, when people go to university in Belfast, if you live in Northern Ireland, yeah. quite often they'll go home every yeah. weekend with their washing. Yeah. I didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what did you, you speak about uh, the influence that your mum had? Um, what did she have? A, um, did she work in the textile industry at all? Or what, what connection um, did she have? Was actually, she loosely did work in the textile industry for a while, long time before I was born. She worked, I think, more in admin with, uh, with for Desmond's factory, which was in Irvinstown, near where, where I'm from, near Cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would have produced a lot of leisure wear clothing, I think, for the likes of Dunn Stores. Mm-hmm. Um, they closed down years ago. I vaguely remember the factory still being there. And there used to be a factory shop where she would get the remnants of the material, which right. is how we had so much fabric. Wow. Um, so she worked there for a few years, but then she gave up her work to look after her children as soon as mm-hmm. I think um, my brothers were born, probably. Um, so she had a wee bit of background in that, but no, she always talked about wanting to, she might not like me saying this now, so <laughs> <laughs> she always wanted to set up um, a knitwear business. Oh, wow. And she had uh, a knitting machine and she was, um, she'd done beautiful samples that she'd showed me and, and everything. And when we were young, she would have done quite a lot of, knitting um but it's so difficult you know as as I'll as I'll talk about setting up your own business so it just didn't quite happen for her she didn't have the opportunity yeah. really so um I think um yeah that kind of ambition came through but yeah definitely okay so then in university um what was the sort of first thing that you kind of made like what was the aesthetics of the first lot of work you can do. you mean in weaving or textiles in, in general? In textiles in general to then specify maybe in weaving? Um, like was it weaving throughout gosh. after you did you know the initial sort of sampler yeah. um, where you kind of like hooked on weaving and that's what you continued yeah. with or was it a bit of everything with a similar aesthetic? It's such a long time ago that gosh you're, <laughs> you're bringing me back now. <laughs> I have to take a refresher and go through the portfolio which has been sitting in the corner now for a long time but uh, well I think I find quite a lot of the work in Texas quite difficult, actually. Um, I find that if we didn't have a particular end use for a project or a product, I would find it really difficult just yeah. to come up with ideas. So when I got into weaving, I would always have started to think about the end product um, and you know what the purpose would be for the, the item, so for the fabric. So my final year project which is the one I would remember best because I think it was the best resolved project really before that I don't think I had really any work that I would that would be very memorable to me so that's why I maybe find it hard to 
to answer that, but uh, my final project um, was aimed at taking the textile right through from source to final product. So really thinking about the process, but also, but also having fabrics, the cloth that could be used for a particular purpose. So I spun a lot of the yarns from, uh, from fleece that I'd sourced to give texture to the woven item. So I would, I would uh, weave that textural yarn then into the weft of the warp. So it would just add a bit of dimension to the product that was going right from source through to okay. final product. Um, and showing, actually communicating the process as well, which I hadn't really seen done before. And I'm sure other people had done something similar, but um, I had shown a wee video with my project showing the spinning and the carding of the yarn, of the wool. Um, so I really just like that idea of connecting the product from from the, the raw natural yeah. source, the sheep's wool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with uh, the structure of the courses that are mm -hmm. down there. Um, is it... Uh, very driven towards producing product or is that just your own you decided mm. that, that you were more interested in producing product to be honest I'm sure it has changed quite a bit from I was there as I said mm. it was 2005 I graduated so I'm sure it probably is quite different now I think it was quite loose the way they approached it when I was at NCD I think the course is probably structured differently now it was quite a long time ago but um yeah it's such a I suppose many art fields are but it, textiles is such a diverse Field. you know you could be designing cloth for functional products or you could be designing an art sculptural piece mm -hmm. uh, and they were open to all of that I think really uh, but each project would have been different with a different brief so the tutor would have set brief which would have been either product orientated or quite often it might have been just sampling fabrics for fashion mm -hmm. whether it was in print or weave or embroidery um, or interiors so usually it was quite a distinct brief and that would have specified whether it was but generally it was more geared towards functional um functional textiles rather than art which suited me better i think actually anyway great yeah great and so after graduation then uh what happened what was what was the plan oh well i was quite naive i <laughs> <laughs> i had got actually uh, i'd won a competition or got a, a received a prize from a competition that I entered in my final year, which was brilliant. It was through the RSA in London, the Royal Society for of Art, the Royal Society of Arts, which has a longer title. I'll not go into. I can't remember the exact title of the organisation, but the RSA. I entered their design directions competition, and they had categories for each for lots of different art fields. I entered the textiles and the woven one, and I had to go over for an interview in London, and you had to specify whether you wanted to apply for a bursary for travel, which was, I think, £1,500, I think, or uh, internship, an internship with John Lewis oh, wow. in their interior textile department, yeah. which obviously would have been amazing, <laughs> but I just couldn't think about uh, work or anything at that stage. I just wanted to travel and have fun, and as long as I had a bit of money to keep myself going, I didn't mind, so mm -hmm. I chose the travel money, and I went to South America then for five months. Wow. Well, I worked for another six months and uh, locally back home, went to back home to look at my parents for a while and, and worked in a curtain fabric shop um, for six months to add a wee bit to that money. Mm -hmm. So I had enough to go travelling then. Started off travelling with a friend and her friend from university who were there for, who were going travelling for different reasons than me, but we wanted to go to the same place. We wanted to go to South America. Um, so I used that opportunity that they were going, I went with them. But as I said, my purpose was very different. I wanted to make sure I used that money because I'd been awarded it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure I used it to do a bit of research on the, t the textiles. So mainly in Peru and Bolivia, I suppose, were the most interesting areas. Mm -hmm. I travelled through a little bit of Peru, quite a bit of Bolivia for a good, I think, maybe two months almost out of that, where I spent a bit of time living with the family and learning some Spanish for a week or two. Um, and then went down through Chile, and across to Argentina. Not quite, I think, down far at the very bottom of Chile, but we went across the border, I think, um, in Patagonia. So did all that travelling by bus, which was an amazing experience, oh, okay. and a good bit of it on my own, but meeting up with, you know, lots of other travellers mm -hmm. along the way, which was amazing. Um, yeah, it was just really amazing opportunity, and I think the memories will last forever. I haven't written anything down. I always intended to, but I've got lots of photographs, but just seeing the men and women there weaving as part of daily life really and you know you might see a woman making a warp up with two sticks 
um, on the top of a, on a mountainside in the city. Um, you know, using very basic equipment, but mm -hmm. the work that they were able to produce is so beautiful and so complicated mm -hmm. that we would use. You think, you know, you had to have a really complicated piece of equipment to make, mm -hmm. but they would do it all by hand and eye and memory. Mm -hmm. I don't think they wrote anything down. It was just skills were passed down from generation to generation. Yeah. And even there was an island that we went to visit um, in Bolivia. I can't remember the name of it right now. It might have been Isla del Sol, but sorry. The names escape me, but it had a tradition of the the men would knit and it was often the young boys and you would see them actually walking home from school uh, knitting as they were walking and they would knit these their little hats with the ears the long ears of you know yeah. the ear covers and they would knit these amazingly intricate patterns just as they were walking home from school so it just goes to show you how how much it was passed down through yeah. families yeah that so when i got back from traveling then i think reality hit home <laughs> had a bit of time where i didn't know what to do he was back home in fermanagh um eventually then after another six months or so doing a bit of work at home in, in a country park in a heritage job i moved back to dublin and worked for the office of public works for i think six months to a year in retail as well but the office of public works then got me into a bit of tour guiding at dublin castle and kind of introduced me to the um, career of heritage and museums and that kind of thing so I um, and at Castle Town House in Kildare worked there as a tour guide for a summer so then when I got back to the north I decided eventually to move back to Belfast be closer to my partner and my husband so I ended up doing a skills course in um, collections management with museums so at a local museum in County Fermanagh and then eventually got a job as um, a temporary assistant curator at um, Medantra Museum in Ballymena, which is a really great experience and I loved working with collections and it gave me something that could give me an, you know, a, a reasonable income mm -hmm. but still related to I could bring in my knowledge about textiles and art and design um, so it was a nice opportunity I really enjoyed designing the exhibitions and that side of it mm. but it did kind of kept feeling like I really wanted to try out my own business or you know keep going with my own ideas and produce products rather than just always be putting other people's work on display yeah. um, I wanted to get back into making my own work so mm -hmm. um, when the contract came to an end I used that opportunity then to develop my own work. Brilliant and so you weren't making during that period at all or were, were you? I was trying to make a little bit I kind of thought I would be able to do a bit part-time so I was started off doing actually felt making because that was quite easy, you didn't really need, I didn't need much equipment for that, something you could do on your kitchen table, but it's a lot of hard work and very difficult to sell the work at a price that you know, need to, to make the, the money back on it. Uh, but I would I taught a few classes in, um, in, in the felt making over the years, so that kind of kept it going, kept something, textiles going in my head. Um, and the weaving I had purchased a loom probably while I was still working at the museum I think but I hadn't really had a lot of time to get going on it so I think with something like weaving especially great if you can do it part-time but for me I really needed I had a year where I was just thinking about the designs and testing out the equipment and getting to know the equipment because in college we didn't actually have much time to do the technical setup mm -hmm. we got a little bit of help from a technician to set up the looms but you really, you know, a lot of your time is spent designing and in theory and writing up your your um, thesis, that kind of thing. So I felt like I was really learning almost from scratch how to use this loom that I'd bought secondhand um, and how to how to actually get into the routine of designing fabric again. So I kept it going, but it was it wasn't really until I had the opportunity to use all my time. Mm -hmm. to do that that it really got started Brilliant. um so the um loom that you got then um could you is it is in this in the studio now could you um uh describe the the loom itself um what type of loom it is yeah sure um i think a lot of people really like when they come into the studio they always comment on the loom that it's a lovely piece of equipment and it is because it's it's completely almost wood wood with metal bolts here and there um always say to people it's a little bit like ikea before ikea existed but it's swedish so it's glamacra loom glamacra is the, the swedish brand that produced the loom and i think they still make them 
Um, so it's a really big floor, what's called a floor loom. So it sits on the floor. It's about, gosh, um, well, it can weave up to a metre and a half wide. And it's about the same depth, maybe two metres deep and probably about two metres high all all in all. Mm -hmm. So it takes up quite a lot of space, which is why I don't work from home. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's, it's all string and wood, not much metal. So it's very nice to use. It's not too noisy. Some of the more industrial or uh, some of the looms that would be used maybe in Scotland would be quite a lot of metal and very noisy. So this one's right. quite nice to use. It's a, what was designed for a domestic, as a domestic loom really, for people to use in their own homes to weave rag rugs and their home textiles back in the sort of 50s whenever okay. people were doing that yeah, a lot more maybe than they are today um, and so can you describe the process then of um making like obviously you've got after you've got your design and everything mm -hmm. um setting up the loom and how that how that yeah works. sure so it's quite a lengthy process weaving but that's what i really like about it because you're seeing it right through from you're right through from scratch so once i've got my design drawn up my weaving draft drawn up and i've decided on the yarns and the colors i'm going to use i wind a warp on my warping board my warping board's just very simple pegs um pegs on a on a board hung on the wall where you can get ones that swing around as well but either way you just wind the wind the warp is wound onto the warping mill or the warping board as long as i need it so it might be anything from three to 19 or 20 meters and then the warp is wind onto the loom under tension so there's a beam at the back that holds the warp that's wind under tension onto the loom so I'd have to weight it down mm -hmm. I do it all myself so have a little bit of a technique where I can do that without other hands helping me it just gives me more flexibility <clears throat> so I use weights to weight the the warp as it's wound onto the loom and then it's just a matter of getting the technical setup done on the loom so it's the, the ends are threaded through pedals that are carried on shafts and the shafts are then connected to lambs and foot pedals with lots of pieces of string <laughs> so it's quite a complicated setup for that loom actually it's a little bit tricky there are lots of looms that are more modern looms that have different um different advanced things that you can do to make the setup a little bit easier but looms are very expensive so i do enjoy using that one and i make the most of it so you with your traveling experience as well um you saw people weaving uh, very basically um, and this is not a, um, a well it's not a digital loom or anything it's um, all done by hand no yeah that's um, one thing that is quite important to me although I'm not saying I would never use computer programs to design but I just don't happen to have the program um, it costs a couple of hundred pounds which I'm sure I could get if I wanted to but I just I, I find that if you when you learn a college we you know learned how to do the draft on paper and it's quite a technical and process you use graph paper and you work out a draft that shows you the threading, the tie-up for the treadles, and then the weaving pattern for the weft that's thrown in to make the actual fabric. So I think to design a successful cloth, you need to be able to understand how to do that by hand anyway. And you always learn that at the start. And I think that if I was doing it on the computer, I wouldn't have that full understanding of how the structure of the cloth worked. Mm -hmm. Whereas I really like to have that kind of understanding. And it can take quite a long time to design the draft. And at some stage, I probably will get the computer program just to speed things up a little bit. But I really like that process of noting by hand the technical setup of the loom. Okay. Um, and so obviously the loom is so huge. Um, did that really um, establish the need for a studio space? Um, you weren't going to try and do this at home? Uh, yeah, well, it started off, actually, my dad was very good and built me a shed, especially for my loom, wow. which was great. got me started. Uh, it just wasn't working out quite so well because our climate is so damp I think you really need a building if, if you've got if you're using a lot of wood and cloth and things you need a building that's heated so it wasn't really ideal after for long term and then obviously I wanted to move away from was moving away from Vermana as well and so yeah because of the size of it it's not uh, if you live in the country and you've lots of space yeah hopefully eventually we will be able to uh, it would be great to be able to work from home just from the perspective of having more time to be able to work in the evenings mm -hmm. and that kind of thing but here at the minute um in hopefully Lavenue I'm really happy with being around other people it's nice if and when you work alone especially it's nice to be able to see other people coming and going um so yeah if you have lots of space you could easily work from home but yeah. it's nice to have the luxury of a studio space brilliant and so then uh you were setting up your business um uh for products mm -hmm. uh 
that uh, was how many years ago now? Um, well, I launched the business at uh, Fair and Castle Ward late 2015. Okay. And I'd spent 2015. My husband had taken a job. His first job was in County Fermanagh. So I had a bit of an opportunity there to use the time to think about the business and start up, to set up, to, sorry, design the first products, which were cushions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And fabrics for cushion covers, and then I made them up into cushions. Um, so I launched with that late 2015, just wanting to see how they went. Um, and... Yeah, I took it from there, I suppose, started selling properly then, <clears throat> that early 2016. So I still feel like I'm quite new to this, really, because I took some maternity time off then in 2018. Um, so I still feel like I'm learning all the time and mm-hmm. still lots of challenges. Yeah. Well, you've expanded your ranges as well from cushions. Um, you're now producing a, a, a multitude of, of different pieces. Um, is that... Um, was that a conscious decision from the, the, the start that you had a list of products that you wanted to develop? Yeah, well, I suppose I started with cushions because I was always drawn to interiors, but um, not it's quite difficult to sell things like cushions actually and smaller if you're starting locally. Uh, I think really my market should be looking over to bigger cities and across the water to London, mm-hmm. places like that. But at the minute, just I'm working part time alongside childcare responsibilities with my son. So I'm not really in a position at the minute to expand stockists. But um, so when I started off, sorry, um, stockists tend to be local and a lot of places when a lot of craft shops wouldn't have much space for cushions and they tend to be quite work out quite expensive as well. So I find that I just needed smaller products and then I started making um like little zipped travel pouches with zipped bags which were easier for craft shops to hold and less of a less of an investment for them if they were purchasing them um so I started making smaller products like that but then they had their own challenges because they had a lot of work involved in the sewing mm-hmm. and I would do that all myself on the sewing machine as well so I really then wanted to try out doing scarves and throws I really love functional textiles so it doesn't matter whether it's a cushion that you sit on or a scarf or a throw or a wrap that you wrap around you or a blanket it's really just making the most of what you can do on a loom on it and, and making the most of the hand woven process um so yeah I love doing uh, what I want to do now actually weave up some for the winters um the big wide light wraps oh, they're yeah. kind of multi-purpose I like yeah. the idea of that people could use them to as a wrapper and out for an evening or they could throw it over their sofa you know and it would still look nice or be like a blanket almost as well so quite like that idea of dual purpose items and it doesn't the function itself doesn't really matter it's Mm. more about using using Mm. the item and could you talk about the materials that you're using as well and how you where you source them and uh, the importance of uh, yeah sure so one of the main aims i wanted to achieve through alanua was to use uh, yarns that were as local as possible that's not always easy because the textile industry especially in Ireland unfortunately really took a big hit with all the globalization expansion that happened in lots of different industries uh, sort of suppose from the 80s onwards um, or I'm sure started earlier than that but so there's very few mills left that we have quite a rich woolen um, industry or heritage sorry in Ireland and that's I really love was always drawn to wool so we really love the properties of wool and how it is so warming and but also cooling in our climate it's breathable um but on our quite cool climate it keeps you cozy it's insulating it changes when you wash it so you can get a different kind of finish depending mm-hmm. on how you finish the item um yeah so i love the whole woolen heritage in ireland but there's very few mills left unfortunately that weave and wool and that spin the yarns but we do fortunately we have really great we um local yarn um, spinner in, in Donegal in Kilcar, Donegal Yarns. So I would source quite a lot of my yarns from there, although it's very small quantities really because I'm only producing everything by hand. So yeah. I'm not using huge quantities, but I love the, the whole history of the Donegal yarn, the authentic Donegal yarn <clears throat> is still spun in, sunny, in Donegal. So it would have the little fleck um, in the wool, the kind of bright colored fleck through the different colors of yarn. And that's from the tradition of where when it was all event way back when it was all hand spun, uh, you know, dye stuff and dye and color, brightly coloured wools weren't in great supply, you know, that were quite precious. Mm-hmm. So the women would use little specks of these bright colours in amongst plainer, maybe browns and whites. Um, and it would sort of cheer up the yarn. So you get this lovely flecked 
and it kind of works well with the the landscape of Donegal as well. So I just I love their yarns and now obviously they're they're sorry they're spun industrially in their factory. But um I got a great wee tour of the factory when I was starting up. Um Chris Vinegar, the manager there, gave me a tour of the factory, which was lovely, and it was just great. I think they employed at that stage anyway. They employed about twenty people, and it's a very small place, so it's a good source of employment locally. Um, but it was just lovely to see the process that the yarn went through, and yeah. um, so I purchased a lot of their yarn from the products, and also then sourced some from across the water that would be spun in Yorkshire. Um, but I try to keep it yarns that are spun in the UK and Ireland. Yeah, brilliant. And um, your colour pot as well is so beautiful and so delicate and it's kind of like slightly stronger pastels. You've got light sort of lilacs and you've got a very soft yellow um, a lovely sort of turquoisey teal colour, mm -hmm. creams, greys and blacks. Mm -hmm. um, is there a particular reason why you've chosen those colour palettes? And your designs are also very minimal and they're just, mm -hmm. they're gorgeous. I mean, where does that inspiration sort of come from? Well, I suppose with colour, uh, I always find it a bit of a challenge to use colour, so I'm actually changing, direct, trying to change a little bit with a new re-range of samples that I'm doing for a project now. I got some Arts Council funding recently and I was able to purchase a new loom which I can sample on as well as keeping the larger loom set up. So I'm trying to kind of just bring in some different kind of colours, more autumnal, richer colours. So I'm hoping that won't be a bit strange from what I've done before. Um, but I don't know, I was just always drawn to the neutrals, I suppose, initially, and then I would use some softer, slightly brighter colours to to add into the mix, because people, maybe if it's for their own home, you know, they would have mainly neutrals, yeah. but they like a little bit of colour, so it would be quite restrained colour palette, I suppose. Um, yeah, I just find it quite tricky to commit to colour. You mm -hmm. know, when, if you choose a colour, you're committing, really making a statement. Um, so yeah, I suppose that's why I'm, and also with, <clears throat> with the woolen natural woolen yarns obviously in their natural state there's shades of white and cream and uh, brown and grey and really I suppose the I have quite a like sustainable ethos in my business where I really like things to be as natural as possible and hopefully that the companies that are producing the yarns don't do anything that's damaging to the environment um so I suppose the less dye that's used the better it is really for the environment um if the yarn's in its natural state yeah but I do I do like using a bit of colour. I think everybody likes it. a little bit of colour in their life. So. Yeah, yeah. They're really gorgeous, um, gorgeous designs. And have you done, um, you were saying that you travelled a lot whenever you left university. Have you done any other travelling that has maybe yeah. inspired? Well, I suppose you were asking yeah. about inspiration for the design as well, or for the, for the designs as well. Yeah, I've um, been drawn to quite a few of the Scandinavian countries, I suppose, just because of their design their designs appealed to me so um, when I was in college I did um, a three-month exchange in Erasmus, sorry a three-month placement through Erasmus Amazing. in Finland in Helsinki the wow. art college there Um, so really spent the time there I suppose not doing a lot of weaving actually unfortunately we didn't get to weave with the the Finnish students because mm -hmm. the language barrier they did all their teaching their learning in Finnish and obviously it's not an easy language to pick up quickly mm -hmm. so we were taught separately the foreign students were taught separately so it didn't really feel like I got a great technical insight there and uh, actually the project just happened to be or what we were asked if we wanted to do and we agreed was an art-based textile project which actually I realized after didn't really suit my kind of way yeah. of working um, but anyway apart from the textiles that I did there it was more just the whole design ethos and learning about their history um, people like Alvar Alto the architect and designer and the amazing furniture that he produced and the whole ethos they have such a long design heritage there and it's quite um, a restrained kind of way of thinking about design and form follows function I suppose is the phrase I kept hearing over and over in the museums over there um, so that really appealed to me and I suppose it kind of comes through in the textiles people would often say to me oh it's very Scandinavian that's not really intentional but I think I realised there as well whereas in NCAD in, in the National College of Art and Design the print students there would have done a lot of very detailed floral very opulent kind of designs whereas when I went to Finland the print section print department there was complete opposite it was very graphical very restrained to a few colors very bold um, so I think that kind of came through then my weaving somehow without realizing it great okay so you said you recently got some funding from the mm -hmm. Arts Council um, 
could you talk about that a little bit? So apply to the Arts Council's SIAP programme, which is Support for the Individual Artist programme, which thankfully designers are able are allowed to apply for. So thankfully it was successful last year um, and I got some funding back last October for um, a project which I needed a loom for. So it was basically um, I wanted to be able to do a project where I started designing new samples for what will be products hopefully next year. But it, the design part of weaving takes so much time and it's quite an investment in your time that it's quite difficult to do alongside the producing of your of my items for shops that I need to sell to get an income. Mm -hmm. So it was really good just to have a second loom and a more modern loom that's a little bit easier to set up so that I could do that project and have it developing while I'm doing other work on the bigger loom for production. Um, so I actually only got the room in April. It's, I think they build them especially for you, so it took a lot longer to come than I had, had realised. So I'm just really getting into the project now, but I'm hoping to get that kind of wrap the initial stage, but wrapped up anyway. So I'll have the initial samples woven up now this month, and I've been working on it. And it's more trying to slightly change the direction of my designs. That a lot of the initial designs that have wove for all new have been quite graphical. A lot of woven textiles would obviously be all over textures whereas mine have quite a definite pattern on them mm -hmm. uh, which is woven in with what I call supplementary warp which are like warp threads that aren't really integral to the structure of the fabric so they're more like an embellishment they almost look like embroidery but they're woven into the cloth to create like a quite a bold pattern yeah. so I'm slightly changing direction using that same kind of technique using supplementary warp but trying to do it more in an all over contextual format or using um, inspiration from natural textures uh, rather than sort of particular pattern um, so yeah I've been looking at like just plants and tree bark and things like that and it's not really about trying to replicate a particular thing from nature or a particular picture mm -hmm. that I've taken or anything it's more about trying to just create a feeling through the texture that I'm creating so I'm hoping to cut into the floats so when in weaving you would have sometimes floats where a thread or yarn floats over the surface. Yeah. So I'm going to cut through those floats and try and create <clears throat> a bit more of a third dimension to the textiles. Um, so you've also uh, done uh, previously workshops uh, mm -hmm. as well. Um, how do you uh, make something that um, typically you need a studio space with such a massive loom? How do you make that then um, possible to bring to, to create workshops yeah well, that was something I really wanted to do because I love showing other people the process and I love showing other people how they could do something themselves and giving them that sense of satisfaction of being able to produce their own textiles so I was determined to do it in some sense but obviously I couldn't I couldn't take my loom away and it wasn't really suitable to bring people to this space and also only one person can work on a big loom at a time um so well there's type of quite a different type of weaving from I do, but there's type of weaving, weaving sorry, called tapestry weaving, uh, which is done usually on a frame loom, and you can do it on a really simple, I mean, a loom can be as simple or as complicated as you make it. Mm -hmm. um, so really, I mean, the simpler the loom, the more you're doing in your head and with your hands, but it doesn't need to be a complicated piece of equipment. It's just very slow then, obviously, to weave large pieces, or um, you're restricted to the size of the piece you can make, but really all you need to weave, to begin weaving is, um, like a picture frame or you know frame four pieces of wood um, so that's how I started just doing the tapestry weaving classes and the tapestries are usually kind of heavier pieces that are suitable for hanging on the wall or you can make like coasters or table mats things like that uh, so it's a different quite a different way of weaving actually because you're using your hands to dictate the pattern rather than the technical setup of the loom but it's much simpler to understand then from, from scratch if you've no experience in weaving um, so yeah, I've done a few classes in that um, through the country. Um, I haven't done so much recently now since I had my son last year and just got back into work then last October, November time. So I've just taken a step back because it, there's quite a lot of planning involved in workshops and yeah. I don't like going in without having that kind of planned out and everything. So I've just taken a bit of time now to get back into the design and weaving and the, the Arts Council project that I'm working on. Right. But yeah, I love teaching. Yeah. Um, so how do you find that balance? Um, saying that you've recently become a mother, how do you find that balance as a maker and now having this sort of new role in your life? Yeah, it can be challenging. It's really good to be able to keep going with the weaving. Um, 
I have my son in nursery two mornings a week, which isn't a lot of time, but then I try to get other days if my husband's not working a day or whatever, you know, I'll try and get a bit more time through the week as well. But I'm definitely, definitely being a bit less productive now than would have been before he was born, obviously, of less time. But it's also by choice. I really enjoy being able to spend the time with him. And I suppose that's one of the advantages of being self-employed um, because, you know, you're able to choose how much time you spend on it as well um, so childcare is very expensive so that's another <laughs> factor obviously um, especially if you're a maker and you know to be honest you're not necessarily making or it takes a lot of time to make a kind of a normal wage so you may be making a lot less because you're weighing it up with the freedom that it gives you or the satisfaction that it gives you the kind of lifestyle that you're able to lead so yeah it's a bit of balance and a bit of a juggling act to be honest um, but I kind of see it as more of a long-term investment my business more is a long-term investment where on my time I mean where you know maybe taking a bit of a step back for a few years where I'm producing a bit less and mm -hmm. maybe not expanding stockists but hopefully in the future I'll be able to build it up a little bit more again so it's just really flexible um, and that's the way I look at it I think yeah it's it's difficult to juggle your time but also you've got the opportunity to make to have the best of both worlds yeah just because I think being a maker is such a being a maker and being self-employed, for me anyway, are such, um, you know, it takes so much time yeah, and effort yeah. and dedication. And um, we've just moved house and mm -hmm. our neighbours have kids and it seems like that is such a demanding role as well. Like, mm -hmm. I have such mm -hmm. admiration for people who manage to do both. Like it just seems like such an oh. incredible thing <laughs> and both you and Gemma are parents and I just think it's, yeah, amazing how you well, manage to do it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider it at the minute to be my main thing you know really I'll be honest it has taken a bit of a step yeah. back I might look like I've kept things going just the same but really you know I'm not able to produce yeah. the same amount of work as somebody working full-time that you can't do everything but no I mean you, know, I you have to be realistic yeah. so you might get the impression that everybody's doing <laughs> this yeah, huge amount of work but no. you know really um from my point of view anyway what I'm doing is keeping it ticking over yeah. you know keeping my foot in it and keeping designing new work so that I'll have that come back to eventually and have that source of new designs coming through yeah. but yeah I'm not going to pretend that it's like being really productive at the minute or no but I think that's brilliant <laughs> because I do think there are so many people who produce this illusion um that everything is so successful every single time and everything's going at such a speed I'm sure there are people who, who do do that yeah <laughs> and I really admire them too but yeah I think just it is demanding being like being a parent and uh yeah it's just it's time you know you don't you just don't have the same amount of time you used to and even in the evenings I think at the start I was actually very good when I got back into work after I did take my nine months maternity leave and um thankfully I was eligible for you know maternity allowance then which is really good um so I took that time off but when I got back I think it was quite good initially at doing work in the evenings like I would try to do keep my studio time for practical time I don't have a computer here even um so I would do all my making when I'm in the studio and nothing else really and try to do everything else including design work at home and emails and everything at home in the evenings but just sometimes you're just so tired yeah that I find it really difficult to do that now so yeah I just I'm not doing it as much as I should do really but I suppose that's what people who are very productive while they're being a parent are doing a lot of their work in the evenings after after their children go to bed yeah <laughs> I know I definitely I try to fit in as much as possible I I really think that the mental health aspect of um making for me anyway is a massive factor um I stopped making when I um, knew I was going to have them because uh, I was just so excited about the prospect <laughs> of having this little tiny person <laughs> Um, and so I thought, yeah, this this uh, it had been something that I'd wanted for a long time. Um, but then uh, I I did keep making in many ways. Uh, maybe I wasn't making ceramics, but I was knitting or I was drawing or I was baking too much. Uh, <laughs> um, but there was always the idea of well, I, I will eventually continue this, and so it was yeah. it was fantastic to have that time where it was sitting back because I don't think I'd done it often enough mm -hmm. where I sat back and just thought about what I want my business to look like and what I want to do and then also reassess what I was doing badly before yeah. <laughs> because I was doing so much badly <laughs> um so sometimes was... you're better doing nothing at all and do it badly oh so. yeah <laughs> definitely I I have that approach now because I see it as though I'm 
constant I'm juggling and sometimes uh, it, it may look like I'm juggling and like I've got like a thousand balls in the air and I'm managing them all but a lot of the time there's so many that are dropped on the floor yeah <laughs> I'm trying to hide them <laughs> but yeah it's definitely the reality of trying to you, you're trying to make sure everybody's seeing this side of you that you know because I think even um the idea of it myself um is really nice I like the idea of um me being productive but um it's not real <laughs> also you yeah. want to make most of time when you have the privilege of having children that's yeah. lovely to yeah, we, we were the same I mean we were married four years I think before Luca was born so we really looked forward to him coming and I didn't want to you know even if even if childcare had been free I probably wouldn't not that there's anything wrong with that but everybody's different you know I really wanted to just spend as much time as possible with the money small but also it's great to have something that you can escape to every now and again for a few yeah. hours because yeah it can be it can be quite tiring and uh monotonous in a way as well there's a certain routine that has to be followed every day so yeah it's nice to have a bit of change every now and again and to do something creative on your own yeah brilliant uh so what's the really big plans you were saying about how the this arts council funding that that's the next stage mm -hmm. of you're making these samples and for new products later on and um, is that that that's the focus then um for your practice at the moment is working towards that yeah um, do you I have think... any shows that you're in the future maybe well I think at the minute, just with being so such limited hours in the studio and part time, I'm taking every day as each week as it comes. Uh, I used to try and do a lot of planning and plan ahead, and you know I would usually at the start of the year take time to start doing getting into a good routine of writing out a plan for the week ahead or for the month ahead or for three months ahead. You know, like you should. Um, that's all very well in theory, but then I usually find when I start getting into things, different things happen, things come along outside of work yeah. that you weren't expecting and you know there's always things going on outside of work so it's just I find it always falls back and then you get a bit I get a bit frustrated then when I haven't followed my plan mm -hmm. so yeah. sometimes I just give up on plans and take each week as it comes yeah. but I'm lucky to be able to do that so I don't have to get too stressed out because I've got a very supportive family my husband's very supportive and lucky that he has um a good job and a good income where he's able to support me through doing this my own business as well as looking after our son during the day when he's at work so um yeah uh plans gosh well i would really love to do some fairs across the water just um somewhere outside of ireland to get a bit of a different perspective but i just haven't managed to get there yet um I think just because the weaving process is so slow, the pieces are quite expensive. Quite expensive then to produce, um, time wise when you cost it out. Um, so it's quite difficult to build up, up enough stock. I only have three stockists at the minute, and they're all in Ireland, but that's enough for me at the minute because yeah. some of the pieces are quite big and time consuming to produce, and I'm not really being as productive even as I would like with those stockists. So I can't really think about doing a fair and having all these extra products yeah. to take over to a fair whenever you know, I need to kind of keep the stockists that I have at the minute um, stocked up. So yeah, something I would love to take part in is the salvage fairs. Um, salvage is, I don't know if you've heard of it, they're a textile specialist magazine produced oh, yes. in London. Um, I think it's London. Um, so it's a really beautiful magazine. I think it started just when, when I was in college. Uh, it's all about all different aspects of textiles and all over the world. Um, a lovely magazine, and they also have their fairs at Christmas time, usually in Scotland and in London. Uh, next year, I think they're having a World Textiles Fair. We oh, wow. got some crowdfunding to do that, so um, I would love to take part in some of their even their smaller fairs at some stage because I think they'd be attended by people who you know. I really need a customer who not just appreciates craft but appreciates the the whole process yeah. of the hand woven um technique and is willing to pay unfortunately it's not cheap and you know they have to be willing to pay a wee bit more for something that's produced by hand mm -hmm. so uh what are you looking for in even a stockist of your work um do you have any requirements about mm -hmm. i mean how particular are you about uh stockists i mean obviously with um, you know, you've mentioned about um, the, the time that you're dedicating to your practice at the moment and so you're not looking to expand the stockists, um, but um, is that something that you consider um, of who you're stocking? 
um, yeah, for their customer um, base. Yeah, I mean, definitely. They, I suppose they, they really need to be able to communicate the something about process behind the handwoven items that I stop them with because a lot of the time I would do seal a return, which isn't ideal because you're not getting seal a return for anybody listening who's not maybe used to the terms. It's where you're you're sending goods to a stockist and they're not paying you for them until they sell them. And then they're taking a commission off that. Um, but it works quite well for me because some of the items are quite expensive and maybe the stockist you know, doesn't want to invest in it if they're not sure if it's going to sell. But at the same time, I have sold, generally they will sell eventually. So it means a bit less commitment from the stockist, but also, you know, I will, I'll get that income on a slightly higher, slightly higher rate of commission than would normally through, through wholesale. And also it means I can, you know, supply them with small quantities as I have them rather than, you know, them placing large orders, which I might not be able to fulfill. So, um, yeah, they need to be able to communicate a bit of the process about the handwoven product because it is quite different than, you know, there would be um, mills in Donegal that would produce beautiful textiles, um, the, but they would be much cheaper because they're produced really on a much larger scale in a factory and there's a whole different maybe design background to it, or maybe they're plainer fabrics that are repeated and produced in large multiples rather than it was very small batches, so they need to have a bit of an understanding. Yeah. Okay. So do you prefer selling direct, uh, whether it be your website or at a craft fair, compared to maybe stocking? I do enjoy selling directly because I enjoy the interaction with the person who's going to maybe use the product or give it to somebody. But at the same time, because they do work out quite expensive, especially the larger pieces, a fair or markets, local markets anywhere, are not really the best place it's hard to get you know the right kind of customer mm -hmm. coming along to those or they may be expecting the items to be much cheaper and then it's also a bit of a challenge to sell directly because a lot of makers will know yourselves it's difficult to sell at fairs as well as stock retailers because yeah. you're trying to keep you don't want to undercut your stockists mm -hmm. so you have to keep the prices closer the same as what you would retail for through shops but then it might come across as being quite expensive to people who go to markets so mm -hmm. I find markets aren't I don't really tend to do many local markets although I do enjoy selling directly but so I think because the hand weaving is such um, a demanding process to it and so time consuming and you're doing all the other, doing all the other things like the admin and everything as well um, I like other people to be able to sell to take on the selling bit so I don't have a web shop and that's very intentional though it may well do in the future that might be something I should look at um, because people do ask me about selling about buying off me directly but I, I really appreciate the amount of time that it actually takes to sell work mm -hmm. and to promote the work. And, you know, there is a lot of work involved. People, sometimes they find makers complaining a bit about how much a shop will take off the, the price of the item that's being sold and that kind of thing. But I really think, you know, I, I'm quite happy that they will take that because if they're willing to put the time into setting up shop and the risk that's involved in that and the kind of commitment that that involves and the staff they have to employ you know I'm quite happy for them to take that cut if they can find the customer mm -hmm. definitely and so what has been to date what has been the best selling opportunity for you do you think um well to do with direct selling i would say our we would a surprise actually our local market here that we would have usually at christmas um at the Little American Congress in Hopefield Avenue. We have a small Christmas market. We don't have a huge space, but Orla and Martin have uh, organised it for the past three Christmases or so. Um, and I'm always quite surprised. You know, I think, oh, I'm never going to sell anything because it's too expensive. I, you know, nobody's going to want to buy these things at this price <laughs> here. But actually, the kind of customers, I think it might be because Orla and Martin are architects and they have the uh, particular kind of clientele that they would that would follow them so they attract actually people who really appreciate design and craft um yeah so it always surprises me when they do sell pieces at it and um, yeah it's always a nice surprise christmas brilliant i'm sure it's well received as well mm -hmm. like just having that extra money in time for christmas mm -hmm. um and i was also wanting to ask something i should have asked earlier but how you're talking about it's you know it's very labor intensive um process and definitely seeing the looms and knowing that you can't change a design halfway through you know that you have to keep mm -hmm. it continuously um going I mean to make a, a product or a run of textiles would you make um for cushions for example would you make each individual 
um, sort of square for the front or would you make a whole run of items and how long does that process yeah. generally take including like the setup and everything okay. <laughs> quite a lot to cover there Sorry. well there is a, <laughs> there is a bit of flexibility in the design on the, and that's you can change the pattern as you're weaving okay. to an extent but it's dictated by the setup of the threading so you can change the how the weft is woven through mm -hmm. to an extent but you can't completely change the setup mid-weave unless you're re-threading the whole loom which is very time consuming so yeah you're right you, you can't change it completely but you can change it a little bit so if something's not quite working out yeah, there's a little bit of flexibility to change mm -hmm. the weaving pattern um, through the weft that's being thrown but um, it depends really on the product with the with the likes of the new Grange cushion which is like a design in itself it's like a centralized diamond pattern surrounded by zigzags um, mm -hmm. so it's you know it's not really a continuous length of fabric um that you can just cut into anywhere along it if you know what i mean yeah so yeah those took quite a lot of planning because you know you have to work out each cushion cover has to be woven individually although it will be woven in a big long run you know i could weave how many ever i wanted to at the one in a in one length and then cut it up but yeah it would have to be woven in blocks mm -hmm. according to the cushion cover and then after the fabric is after, after the cloth is woven it's not really finished um with weaving and wool yarns, the woolen yarns are spun in the factory in oils. I think they actually, they wash the yarns first to get rid of the dirt and everything. And then they add in maybe synthetic or other types of oils to, in the spinning process to help the, to help the spinning process. So those need to be washed out then. So it's not, the cloth isn't really finished at all. When you take it off the loom, it's still quite coarse and quite um, open looking. So then that's what one of the things I really like about the wool though, is once you wash it, then it really softens up and changes and you can felt it a little bit by hand, by rubbing um, and that kind of thing. So yeah, you have to work out then how much it's going to shrink by mm -hmm. and uh, that's why it involves a lot of time, commitment and time in designing a new cloth because you have to do a lot of trial and error, testing and washing and testing the size it's going to end up as um yeah so it can be quite tricky if you're weaving something like the new grange cushion but there are fabrics you can weave obviously that are continuous and the pattern won't change throughout mm -hmm. it will just be mm -hmm. continuous pattern and that's obviously a little bit more straightforward then so the new ones i'm doing i'm hoping to yeah. make things a little bit easier for myself yeah okay. just um to also touch on that slightly does it matter, um, does, does the dye that's used to colour the threads mm -hmm. and so on, does that affect uh, the um, shrinkage rate at all or um, the flexibility in the, um, the, the yarn? The colour itself? The colour yeah, well the dyes that they the use to, to make the colours, do you find some colours um, work differently no, at all? No, I haven't actually ever thought about that, but okay. no I haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> no, really what would change how, um, how the fabric will finish and end up is the type of yarn and the type of wool so uh, there's a huge variety in sheep's wool depending on the breed and the um and maybe the age of the sheep i suppose as well because you have lamb's wool is from younger sheep and it's obviously a lot softer mm -hmm. and then you have different breeds which would be softer than some would be softer than others so for like a really fine lamb's wool um would shrink a lot more and be a lot softer when you would finish it compared to something like more like what you call like a shetland yarn that would usually use coarser wools um, so yeah, it's really more about the qualities of the yarn that you're using mm -hmm. rather than the colour right. of the okay. dyes. And is it predominantly sheep? I mean, can you get, like, Alpaca, I know there's mo mohair Alpaca, as well, but that's not, is that wool? Mm -hmm. That's not really considered wool, is it? Technically, I'm not sure. I don't, know. I, sorry, <laughs> I don't, I don't think know. so. Well, yeah, technically I think wool is usually sheep, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think like I mean, there's lots of different animal fibers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like alpaca and mohair, as you said, which I'm not sure. I think of that goat. Yeah, yeah, it is goat, isn't it? Yeah, I think it yeah, is. But I'm not too sure. Goat. Um, yeah. yeah, wool is um, really what I focus on. Alpaca mm -hmm. is beautiful, and actually, there are some local producers. I think wow. it's very, very soft. And actually, I've just shrunk. Literally yesterday, I just shrunk a jumper that I bought in Bolivia, hand knitted wow. alpaca jumper. That I bought from my husband back in 2006 uh -huh. uh, and I don't think he ever wore but uh, <laughs> I just decided this needed to be washed and put away and of course I spun it in the washing machine which I would often do with my fabrics yeah. uh, which is fine for most wheels to spin the water out you know I hand washed it and then spun it 
to get the water out and it completely shrank into oh. a child size jumper so oh, <laughs> so different still, fibers are yeah. you know there's you can different. put that to use now though <laughs> yeah, like cardboard yeah. but um, yeah so di- different animal fibers actually have very different qualities and plant fibers as well obviously so yeah it's just um i suppose it's easier to stick with the one type yeah <laughs> is there any way if um that does happen is there any way it can be no Unfortunately, not. Uh, Well, if anybody has found a way, you can let me know. But I think (laughs) once um, a fiber like that has been changed, so I suppose it's not really chemical, but it's more the physical properties of the fiber. I think with wool, anyway, it's like little scales on the fiber that overlap. And when it's exposed to water and soap and heat um, and friction, they interlock. And that's what felting is. And with fabrics, woven fabrics, you can use that a wee bit to felt the surface of the fabric if you want um to make it like a kind of more a felted texture so um yeah as far as i know it's irreversible mm-hmm. okay, okay. great right so usually towards the end of um our conversations we like to ask some kind of quick questions mm-hmm. whether it's to do with your practice or not but you have traveled a lot as well um where do you recommend to go oh um well, I haven't travelled as much as we'd like to in the last few years, but somewhere we really want to get back to, and myself and my husband have been, Damien have been through, no, two or three, two, twice already, Stockholm in Sweden, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, it's a beautiful city. We've also been to Copenhagen, and obviously I've been to Helsinki, which are also really lovely. But I think with Stockholm, it was just the fact that you, you've got a city with all the design museums, so many museums. To, on your doorstep but then as well as that it's like a step off point for thousands of well I think hundreds and hundreds of islands in the ar- archipelago um, so you can just hop on a boat one day and visit an island or do a wee camping trip for a few days um, yeah so it's just it's really gorgeous and there's an old part of the city that's really lovely and food is amazing very expensive yeah. which is why we haven't been back there <laughs> since we were got engaged there actually um, but yeah, I definitely would recommend it if you can save up for a long weekend or. Right. Yeah. And so, what time of year then have you been? Or? We were in the summer there actually, but I'd love to go back in the winter because I think it'd be so different. Obviously, yeah. they get quite cold weather over there, and I'd be interested to see if, if like Helsinki, when I was there in Helsinki on my Erasmus exchange, it was over the winter period from January to March, and the sea was frozen, wow. which I just find amazing. I yeah. couldn't believe it to see <laughs> no, people you wouldn't say walking that here. on the sea, so you could <laughs> yeah. walk out to some of the islands. Oh which God. was amazing and you could skate on the lakes and everything so I would love to go back to Stockholm um, and see what it's like in the winter but in the summer it's gorgeous it's very lush can be quite warm and um, they have a lot of parkland and the city's very green a lot of people cycle obviously over there which is something Beautiful. I just love to see that there's less emphasis on cars and and uh, that kind of thing so it's just yeah it's a really lovely green city brilliant um, okay, so then uh, what is the last piece of music that you listen to? Well, <laughs> I used to listen to lots of albums and go to lots of gigs, but in the past few years, I just haven't managed to find that time. Um, but actually, recently, we've just moved to North Belfast, close to the studio here, and uh, there's a really lovely art centre, the Duncairn Art Centre, which maybe you know, um, just down the road from here. And they have um, 50s nights every now and again, or every month, roughly, where I think in theory it's called 50s because they're supposed to have 50 guests, but it usually ends up being oh, a few more. Wow. <laughs> and they have different theme every month um, and different artists playing music and speaking. Um, and the recent one I was at, actually Robin, you'll be familiar yeah. with, um, was Jer Wolf. Yes. This man from guy from yeah. Cork, singer songwriter, and I'd never heard of him before, and it was just lovely surprise to hear something at the end of the concert where. Um, really beautiful relaxing music and I love the way his accent came through and mm-hmm. his singing so I bought the album one of his albums there so I suppose that's what I've been listening to recently um yes yeah, so really enjoyed him and then I would listen to a lot of podcasts as well when I'm working or or just you know from the radio generally from BBC like yeah. Mark Radcliffe's Spoker or um Karis Matthews and Six Music her um wee session on a Sunday is really good so very very nice Amazing. And then, um, so I suppose the possibly the final question, um, well, we've got another question of this, but uh, what was the last piece of locally made or designed artwork or craft um, have you bought? Um, unfortunately, I don't get to buy, I haven't bought much for myself. I always feel like I have to give things away when I buy them. <laughs> 
Um, so I think the last item I bought maybe was a ring from Claire Skelton for as a gift for a relative last Christmas. Um, yeah, I love her work. It's very delicate. It's yeah. so pretty and um, delicate. Very yeah, minimal, so something. So if anybody's listening, I would love myself. Content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. Great. And so then, where can people get in contact with you or sort of find your work on the website and things? Uh, well, my website, where you can find everything through, is www.alanua.com. So that's O-L-L-A-N-U-A.com. And you can find a wee contact page there, which you're welcome, which will go through, to drop me a line, that'll go through to my email. Um, and yeah, I'm on Instagram. Not really Facebook so much, to be honest, these days. Um, so mainly Instagram, you can drop me a message if you have any inquiries. But also really encourage people to get in touch with my stockists. So I have a wee list of my stockists on my website. And yeah, I would really encourage you if you want to purchase any look, any work or have a look at any work, give them a shout and they'll be very helpful. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much. It's been really fantastic making conversation with you. Um, and I've it's been it very too. insightful mm-hmm. as well. So thank you. Well, thanks for visiting. <laughs> it was so lovely to talk to Nicola in her studio in North Belfast, especially to see the setup that she has. I think textiles is one of those types of craft where... You don't quite understand the amount of technical uh, planning that goes into it and how intricate it can be. So it was beautiful to see her pristine setup and just so impressive how professional her designs and branding and how cohesive everything is. So thank you so much for spending time with us, Nicola, and letting us into your little making world. So next Thursday is our final episode and I'm so excited that we get to share with you our podcast with Fiona Shannon who is an amazing ceramicist based in Port Stewart in Florfields Art Centre. So yes, tune in next Thursday for our final podcast of the Maker Series for 2019. 